This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I've got, pre, I've got pretty much nerves. I feel like I need to do a stretch. I have nothing to add in this pre-recorded banter section. <laughs> Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome to episode 1 of the City Report. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. Are you good Adam? How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not as good as Josh Carvalho was when he was shushing the family stand in the fourth minute of a game he lost four-one. But I'm still feeling pretty good. Those happy clappers, though. Those superb happy clappers. Yeah, I I heard some murmurs that there was plastic clappers going around the Etihad, and I'm not sure how I feel. I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I had to message somebody inside the stadium and say, "Please tell me there's no plastic clappers sitting on the seats." But I guess if it's for the kids in the family stand, I can look past it for now, as long as they don't make their way over to the south stand. I've never seen so much distraught in a message at about half past two than Adam sending a, a text saying. I hear there's happy clappers in the, in the family stand. Can somebody confirm if this is true? <laughs> a, a man who just did not want to see plastic clappers at his football club, which is something we can get behind. It's, it's something I'm here to support as well. But, of course, that was the return of football. Um, I'm not sure about you, Adam, but January international breaks didn't do it for me. I suppose you're a little bit different. You had some skin in the fight with the US men's national team in qualifications. But for me... The games are just a little bit past my bedtime. Yeah, I mean, even like a, a nine o'clock kickoff over here for me is past my bedtime, which would get some <laughs> of those going down into Central America and stuff. But yeah, I, I've got some skin in the game and having not made the last World Cup, it makes this qualifying cycle a bit more exciting. Even if the games are being played at Arctic temperatures. 
just absolutely ridiculous stuff. I mean, I don't, you know, we got goalkeepers coming off at halftime for hypothermic uh, <laughs> symptoms and stuff. What's what's the point? At what point does a home field advantage just become stupid? Yeah, he needs one of those sort of like the he's he's a doubt for the next game and in brackets hyperthermia. But yeah, football did return on Saturday, of course. City progressing to the fifth round of the FA Cup for the seventh consecutive season, which is a crazy start when you consider just how sort of difficult the competition is to win. A four-one victory over Championship side Fulham, as you reference before going behind that that Carvalho goal early on cancelled out with Gundogan's leveller with goals coming from John Stones and Mares. It was fantastic to see Mares back in the team, right? He's he's such an important asset and he's such a he's such a goal threat. He is, and I think, you know, for a team with such attacking quality that seems to get so much criticism for not being able to put the ball in the back of the net. I don't know why this is, <laughs> the, why that narrative exists in the first place when we're serial top scorers in the league. Um, but I think you'd have to say that Mares is probably the most lethal in front of goal out of all the wingers we have. I mean, maybe Raheem Sterling was in, in a two, two and a half season span, but in recent seasons, uh, if you want, if you have a chance falling to somebody in the box, I feel like you probably want it to be Riyad Mahrez. And as an added bonus, he can score from the penalty spot now, so that clears up another issue. Yeah, how strange a Manchester City player can score penalties! I never thought I'd see that day at all. But it's a bit strange with with Mahrez. He obviously came in from Leicester and took him a while let's say let's put it that way it did take him a while to find his feet which is expected it's the same conversation we're having with Jack Grealish now he's arrived from Aston Villa he was the sort of the main attacking threat I know Mares had Vardy beside him to score goals as well but in terms of creativity there was sort of few more important to Leicester City than Mares and He's quietly just evolved into City's most important player. He's obviously had that time out at AFCON. But when you look at the list of goal and assist contributions this season, he's got 21. Now, the second closest on that list is Gabriel Jesus with 14. Yeah, I think you can you can look back at his first season and and say it took him a while to kind of um to kind of get to the to the form that we've seen lately. But and I know there's been a lot of comparisons with him and Jack Grealish um in that sense that people are kind of giving Jack the season off in a way because this is normal for mm. attacking players at City under Pep Guardiola. It takes some time to to bet into the system and um you know, a lot of these guys are flair players, creative players and they do sometimes have to become another cog in a machine um not in a way that kills their creativity but just because Guardiola plays such a specific style um I think the only real difference is that I don't know if you remember Mara's first season him and De Bruyne seemed to hate each other for basically the entirety of the season and every single time Mara's wouldn't make the correct run or misplace a pass and De Bruyne's face would just be bright red and just like (laughs) screaming down the that right wing at him um but yeah, I mean, you'd have to say he's turned into the most most lethal winger on the team and um, almost an irreplaceable player in that front three right now. I could see De Bruyne being like the the captain of the school team when when you go in and you have to really earn his respects. The standards he's set over the last few years in the City squad is just phenomenal. So I can I can see why he possibly looked at Myers and thought you know you could maybe be doing a little bit more, but. He, it is crazy to think how how sort of under the radar he's just 
transformed into a, a, such a crucial player and I would hate to have had to come in from a, a club with a big price tag on my, on my head and then being forced to do Pep Guardiola's attacking drills on the training ground. I can only imagine like Morse code being easier to solve than, than some of those drills. So it's fantastic to see him, him flourishing. I, I can only hope the same happens with Grealish as well because imagine we had one one Riyad Mahrez on one side and then Jack Grealish on the opposite flank just tormenting, tormenting defenders and who knows, maybe even a Norwegian striker up front to finish those chances. Um, for, for the Fulham game, then, it, w- it was a pretty comprehensive victory in the end, bar that opening opening sort of 15, 20 minutes or so. Was there anyone else who stood out for you? I, I was quite impressed with De Bruyne. I think he personally had to sort of improve his game over the last couple of weeks, but he seems to have, he seems to have fun in that midfield, didn't he? Well, clearly we didn't share notes ahead of time because I had De Bruyne down for this as well. Um, I think, you know, when you look at the way that he started the season, coming into the season with the ankle injury he suffered um, at the Euros, the the broken cheekbone from the Champions League final last year, and he was really off the pace at the beginning of this season. I mean, I can remember a stretch of five, six, seven, eight games where he was just completely lost. He looked like he was drunk on the pitch. Um <laughs> but you'd have to say in the last two months or so, he's clicked back into the gear that has become the norm um, and just everything is running through him. Every transition, every counterattack, it runs through him. And and if he's not picking up assists, he's he's picking up the assist before the assist and it just so fluid and not misplacing passes anymore. And I've just been so impressed with the way that he's turned this season around. Scoring from corners as well. How strange a phenomenon is that? I mustn't have remembered the last time City scored from corner. Although I think maybe Nathan Axe scored earlier in the campaign. But it's nice to see a corner that didn't just hit the first man straight away and, and actually sort of put into a dangerous area for somebody, you know, big Johnny Stones to, to put his head on it. Yeah, it was good to see. And it, uh, it's funny, I don't know if you caught the little nod that he gave De Bruyne right before <laughs> yeah. right before the corner. And just like everyone knew that if, if the ball came to John Stones, he was putting it in the back of the net because that that little wink that he gave him. But yeah, yeah it was good to see. And Nathan Ake as well, he just, he, I thought he was going to get to it first, but John Stones would just like get out of my way. And, you know, he, need, he needs the uh, the Titanic music over that because that, that was just an absolute storming <laughs> run from John Stones. But yeah, City go through to round five. It's what most people expected. Although when you look at the FA Cup weekend that we've just had, the, the neighbours not sort of getting their their progression through on, on Friday evening, obviously on penalties. And it's nice just to sort of to get through without much sort of uh, controversy or much malice or much complaints in the way of injuries or anything like that. A really standard victory in the end. And Peterborough awaits it in, in round five, which has angered a few people on Twitter, hasn't it? It has. And, you know, look, sometimes I get it. Um, but... <laughs> If you look around at draws in the past, this is pretty normal. There's plenty of big teams drawing small teams. The difference is that City beat the small teams and they get through to the finals and the semifinals. <laughs> whereas, you know, I can't remember what was the last time a kind of Cinderella team knocked this out. Probably Wigan. Yeah, I think twenty seventeen, eighteen was. Yeah. was it? Yeah, yeah. In that where when City were, were destined to do the quadruple and they rock up at uh, the DW Stadium and, and just went to pieces, really didn't it? it was terrible that night. But yeah, I but think yeah, that was fun. the the uh, the final Fabian Delph game yeah. in a City shirt. <laughs> yeah, oh Fabian, what a player, what a man. 
<laughs> but yeah, City City going through, and they should be targeting the FA Cup. It, it's remarkable, really, when you look at the amount of trophies City have won over the last sort of decade or so, and only two FA Cup victories and and three finals overall. Obviously, the, it seems to be the scourge of Wigan. It was just have a curse against Wigan. So it was nice to see them go out, and maybe it means City have a clear run at it. But a place in the quarterfinals after Peterborough, if we can get through, and, and then you know you're just hoping that um, hoping that it's another another date with destiny in May. But a big a big um, plus point from that Fulham game was, of course, the two academy players who came off the bench. Personally, would have loved to see them get a bit more game time. I think ten minutes or so for for a game like that, especially when it was won sort of midway through the second half, possibly could have been pushed up a bit more, but. Peterborough United up next for City in round five, which leads us nicely onto our first question of the evening and, and just the first question of the podcast in general. Dennis asks us, which academy player will make the most impact on the first team in eight years' time? Now, presumably we're taking Phil Foden out of that as he's already established. But in terms of the other players who have come through the academy, who are we sort of looking at and, and saying that they can really make a and be a mainstay in the first team? Yeah, I've also taken Cole Palmer out of this. I would say he's probably far enough along to not consider him just an academy player. Yeah, Um, I've got two answers here. One, I think, is is more guaranteed than the other. Um, And that first one is James McAtee. I know that it kind of came down to the wire there with him signing a new contract, but he's finally put pen to paper. Um, And, you know, the small doses that we've gotten of him I think have been so impressive he he just seems to be a a modern city player through and through mm. he's so technically sound his composure on the ball his movement off of the ball um even in just that you know 10 minute cameo that we saw against Fulham he just he doesn't make any mistakes on the ball mm. and you know there was I remember a time where there was a city player kind of surrounded by two or three Fulham players and they kind of spun out of it and just and just pinged a pass out to the right wing. And I thought, oh, that was sick, Bernardo. And it was James McAtee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got the nickname the Salford Silver for for a reason, hasn't he? And potentially that could even mean Bernardo Silver. But he's a joy to watch. He's he's absolutely loaded with technical ability, which isn't a surprise when you're coming into Manchester City's midfield and you know, it's something you have to have these are professional footballers but when you look at the the sort of the the age he is and he he plays way beyond that he's such a mature player for for still being a teenager and it's a really big statement of intent I think with the um with the contract extension because there were big names after him let's make no mistakes it wasn't like it was a league one club or a mid-table championship club trying to pry him away these were top Premier League clubs looking to get him on on a sort of pre-contract agreement when it was when it was going to end and clubs abroad we've seen it with Jaden Sancho the sort of impact moving abroad could have and he must have been swayed by it in some sense so to to get him tied down until I think it's 2027 or maybe 2026 is a real coup for City and and a really big statement of intent so I think he's probably the most likely to go through for me I'm looking at Liam Delap as a potential man who can break through and I don't know if this was the other guy you had down but I think it's probably a bit 50-50 at this stage if not 60-40 in favour of no due to the recruitment sort of policy City have but I would absolutely love it because I'm going to whisper it but I think Liam Delap has a little bit of Erling Haaland energy about him in the way he moves and the way he's sort of movement 
prize defenders away from space, the way he can bully bully opponents. And when he came on against Fulham, he really gave it to the defenders, didn't he? And these are the championship leaders, and he just wanted to get at them. Yeah, and I think he looks a lot bigger. I mean, the last time we saw him, I think, was that that Bournemouth game where he yeah, came on and, yeah. and scored in the League Cup um, in an empty stadium. But he does seem to look a lot bigger and, and filling out a bit more. And I, I, I totally get the the Holland comparison because he's a bit of a bully out there. And he, he runs so hard with the ball at his feet that it just kind of seems like it doesn't matter who's going to get in his way. He's just going to run through you. Um, mm. But Delap actually was the the other player that I had down. The, the only reason I kind of um, was hesitant to put him down is I think when you look at McAtee and you look at the position that he's going to come through in, probably one of those eights in midfield, and you look at who's ahead of him. You've got Gundogan, who obviously has extended his contract, but he's you know on the other side of 30. You've got Kevin De Bruyne, who's 33. I think there's probably more room for him to move into mm, a starting role in the, the eight-year term, I think it was, that Dennis gave us. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas Delap, you know, we've got Alvarez coming in. Um, and the reports that we're still going to go after a big striker, probably Holland this summer. And, you know, if you end up at third on the, on the depth mm. chart at striker and Pep City team, <laughs> you, you're probably not seeing the pitch much. Um, but I think as far as who has the talent to do it, Delap certainly does. 100%. You know, you look at his last couple of years and last season, only last season, he broke the record for most goals in the Premier League too, which is obviously the the uh, Premier under twenty three competition. And he got twenty he got twenty four goals in twenty games that year, which is it just took me back reading it then. It, it's an astonishing record. And it, it's difficult to say that he will get a, a go at the first team, let alone break into it. Because like you say there, the way City operate and the onus is on the midfield and you sort of are at a, an advantage as a midfielder coming through at City. But th- there's more to his game than just goals, which is something I think could pot- potentially help um, Liam Delap as he goes forward. He's almost got that sort of another striker comparison, which won't do his, do him any favours at all. But the way he dropped deep against Fulham, and, and he has done this before, it's almost a bit like Harry Kane-esque last season, where he, he can create as well. And I think that will be something that aids him if he if he is to break into the first team. And, you know, he can maybe add a few assists to his game and, and you can look at that as a potential. He isn't just that sort of out-and-out number nine, which at times City need. Let's, let's not sort of shy away from the fact there are games where there, there's just balls going across the box and, and it doesn't seem to be anybody there. But at the same time, City have, have built an incredible system. Guardiola's built an incredible system that isn't reliant on a striker. Um, so it's a difficult one to say, isn't it? Because reports suggest City want a striker. Is it going to be Haaland or Buster? We, we saw with the Kane in the summer in the summer saga, it was either Harry Kane or nothing. And it seems like we're gearing up yet again to either Erling Haaland or nothing. Well, just taking it back to Delap for one second, I think the Harry Kane comparison is spot on because if you go and look at a highlight reel of Delap's goal for Delap's goals for the under twenty threes, there's plenty of them where it's not just him getting on the end of a cross and scoring from close range. There's plenty where he will drop deep, he'll pick up the ball, and he will create the goal scoring chance himself and score almost in a Sergio Aguero type way. How often mm. did we see Aguero? 
drop deep, pick up a ball from David Silva, turn, you know, take a couple of steps, cut in on his right, cut in on his left, what, whatever it may be to to carve out that little space, and then he can put the ball wherever he wants it. And I think that's something we definitely see in Delap. I think this next couple of months is really crucial for Delap because if he can sort of make a statement with a couple of first-team games. Being in the FA Cup, he's going to help that. Um, Obviously, he's had a bit of an injury, so I was actually surprised to see him involved against Fulham. But you'd expect him to get minutes against Peterborough. And if he can pop up with a goal or he can maybe come off the bench in a Premier League game either when City are chasing chasing a result or the game is won and just make an impression, the manager is then looking at in the summer and going, do we need to spend... X amount of money if we've already got a player just as capable because how many times have we seen it in world football a player comes in from from a youth setup and they go into the senior team and they're a completely different player now Delap's excelled in this in the youth team let's not make no mistake about it but sometimes senior football makes or breaks a player and uh, he's, he's got the mentality I reckon where he can really he can thrive in it he can he can torment defenders he can get at players and he can score goals and create so a big couple of months for Liam, Liam Delap and he's hoping that he just gets the minutes. And I think just one final thing on Delap. I think the good news for him is that we've seen in years past, especially his past summer with Harry Kane, that as far as City going out after their transfer targets, if the money isn't right, they will not yeah. complete a deal. And you've seen some of the crazy money that is being kind of banded around about Holland, the the crazy agent fees and the commissions yeah. for for Alfie, and you know all these all these different fees that they have to pay and. You know, we talk about this 75 million euro um, release clause, but at the end of the day, it's going to be more like a 150 <laughs> yeah. million euro package. Yeah. Um, and I think we've seen in the past two seasons with City primarily playing with either wingers as a center forward or as a false nine, that if if the striker isn't on the table for the money that we want it, we'll survive. And yeah. and that is probably good news for Delap that. If Pep looks at his options and says, I've just won two leagues in a row. I've gone to a Champions League final. Who knows how much for, how much further City will get this year. And I've done all of that with no striker. And now I've got a good option in Delap. I've got Alvarez coming in. You know, we could walk away from a deal if it's too much money. It seems with with Haaland, it's like when you take out a subscription or, or you sign up for something, it's like, oh, it's a free free sign-up or £5 a month or whatever. And that looks brilliant on the face of it. And then you actually get a bit deeper and it's like, oh, no, you've got to pay £3 for this and you've got to pay six quid for that or it, it doesn't automatically renew. So you've got to do this. It just seems that there's every week a new cost coming out to sort of... to. to to get to Highland. And that brings us very nicely onto the next question from Ek Lavia, who has asked us if City sign Erling Highland in the summer, which is a possibility, it, it remains a possibility that there's no sort of concrete evidence to suggest against it, then it's likely one of the attackers currently in City's team will need to be sold. Mr. Booker, if City are forced to sell, who would you want it to be and why? Again, I've got two answers here because I sat on the fence with two different <laughs> players. It's funny that we spoke about, we spent the first 10 minutes of this podcast raving about Riyad Mahrez. Um, oh, God, no. But Don't I do actually, it. Don't do I it. I actually think Mahrez could be somebody that you could deal with leaving. Now, hear me yeah, out. Yeah. In many ways, in many ways, I would consider myself a lot like Arsene Wenger. <laughs> what, personally? 
personally, um, just intelligence, looks, <laughs> everything about. Have you, have you got a big Vega. coat? Have you got a big sleeping bag coat? I'm yeah. I'm. I've got a big coat. I'm really skinny. I mean, <laughs> I I could just be Adam Vanger. But anyways, <laughs> there we go. One of the things that I look at when if I were running a club is once a player in my team has the number three at the start of their age, <laughs> then their their clock is ticking now. Mares is thirty years old now. I want to say yeah, he's um, around that, and. You know, he's the most lethal winger on the team, as we've seen. But if you are getting rid of a player to bring somebody in who's almost a 20-goal a league season guarantee, like Erling Holland, you can absorb that blow. You still have Raheem Sterling on the right wing. You still have Gabriel Jesus on the right wing. Um, Cole Palmer is coming through. So you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be starved for options. Um, so I think I'll quietly say. Riyad Mahrez. I'm here to stick up for the Algerian prince himself. I think he's he's earned his stripes in a city shirt and I would be disappointed if he was allowed to go, mainly because you go into strength and a rival team. He's not gonna he's not at that stage, at that age now, where he's gonna drop down a sort of if you have City in the elite bracket of teams in Europe, he's not gonna drop down into say sort of like a, a Champions League group stage or maybe a round of 16 Champions League group stage team or a U- Europa League contender, for example. He's going to be going to another elite team. I think potentially somewhere down the line, he has PSG all over him um, just as a lifestyle sort of thing as well. He seems the sort of player who'd, who'd fit in really well there. Obviously, the pace of, of league gun isn't necessarily as frenetic as the Premier League, but... I do think Riyad Mahrez has another year in him at least. The goal contributions we mentioned at the top, you take them out of City's team and granted you stick Haaland in there, you would hope or you'd at least think they'd be matched. But there isn't a sort of guarantee of Haaland scoring, is there? We know what it's like for for attackers coming into City's team. And who knows, maybe maybe there's a reason Pep Guardiola doesn't pick a striker because he sees it in training and goes, well, actually, it's not the sort of chances we create. I'd actually look at more towards Gabriel Jesus as being the one who could be let go. I would be gutted to see him move on. I, I absolutely adore him. He's a he's a sort of he's he's just the most professional of players that I've ever seen in a city shirt. A, a lost cause doesn't exist for Gabriel Jesus, and he can be such a crucial player in City's attack. But it, when you look at who who else it would be, Sterling looks like he's about to get a new contract. It's not going to be Grealish. It's not going to be Cole Palmer. So it's sort of by process of el- elimination leaves Gabriel Jesus and with Julian Alvarez coming in they're probably the most similar players that City have at the moment compared to each other so it, it's looking like maybe the big the big selling finger is being pointed at Jesus. Yeah I think that's fair enough and as far as Gabby Jesus goes I mean look it's never really worked out for him through the middle the way that we expected or had hoped for when he came through um I think the move out to right wing was probably a smart move. It's where he plays at Brazil and he he flourishes there. Um, But I I think you're right that sometimes he kind of feels like the oddball in the city attack. Mm. Um, The things that he provides there, he has irreplaceable qualities. I think Um, his pressing, his work Mm. rate. um, You know, if you go back and look at city's one, no win at at Stanford bridge uh, earlier this season, I mean, the guy was, all over the pitch and popped up scored the winning goal yeah um so i think he's he's such a swiss army knife player that 
it would be hard to see him go. But as far as just pure attacking talent, um, I think it would be a comfortable move to see him move away. Look, I'd, I'd be, like I said, I'd be gutted to see him move on, especially because, you know, what is he, 24? That is a world-class player for the next decade, if not a little bit longer, because he, he looks like he could go on forever. You wouldn't be surprised to see him popping up in the Champions League at 37 with goals, would he? he, he he's an amazing player, and he, I think sometimes people forget how much he's contributed in a City shirt. I know the sort of the banter accounts on Twitter will, will look at him and go, you know, he's... Because he used to have a striker next to his name on FIFA, people would suggest that's the position he plays. But like you say, he, he's so versatile in that front three. He would be strengthening another team, of course. He would. He's, he's an unbelievable talent. But is he is he down the pecking order enough to sort of suggest that they'd keep him? Look, there's every chance City either don't sign a don't sign a striker or sign a striker and just keep the, the squad as it is. Um, we could potentially look at midfield with the likes of Gundogan getting a little bit older. Kevin De Bruyne is now touching 33. So there's going to be a little rebuild needed in there at some point down the line. So I think there's a lot of jigging about to do in the summer. We've actually had a couple more questions about recruitment in the summer because it does feel like it's getting towards a crescendo where this summer window could be a big one for City. You know, unsurprisingly, City didn't do much in the January window. They never do. Alvarez sort of came out of nowhere in the end, didn't it? Um, and these two questions sort of tie in with each other. Pablo Filcasso asks, what would your preferred options be for replacing Fernandinho? And Lou asks, who are your ideal players to sign at defensive midfield, striker and left-back for the summer? Starting with possibly the best handle on Twitter, and <laughs> Adam will testify, I've been giggling at this for a while. Pablo Filcasso is right that Fernandinho's time at City has probably come to an end. You know, the, the Fulham game, it did look like a, a veteran midfielder playing with kids at times. So who are you sort of looking at potentially being the man to replace him? Yeah, I mean, first shout out Pablo Filcasso because any <laughs> any football Twitter account that doesn't have the word season spelled S-Z-N in it is is all right with me. Um, but as far as replacing Fernandinho, I mean, look, it's a difficult one because you'd have to say that Rodri has locked down that role indefinitely. Yeah. Um, so the player that is going to come in to replace Fernandinho can't necessarily be somebody who's going to demand a starting role. Um we know that Pep Guardiola likes to have enough quality in each position to, you know, have a level of of competitiveness. You know, Kyle Walker. Mm. You think Kyle? Think back to Kyle Walker and Danilo in the 2018-19 season when when Kyle Walker dropped off a bit. Danilo comes in and and kept Kyle Walker out of the team for yeah. you know a run of ten games or so. Um, so you know, Rodri can't rest on his laurels, and we, we can't bring in necessarily somebody who's not going to push him. Um, but it's a, it's a delicate situation. One man that I would certainly look to is Calvin Phillips at Leeds. I think, I think okay. he's a, a great option in that position. He's a guy that needs some more development. Um, but what better place is there in English football to develop, especially in a holding midfield role? Um, and he's a guy that's probably not going to come into this city team and, and demand a starting role right away. But hmm. I, I think that could be a decent option. What about his partner at England, Declan Rice? Now, 
they're obviously slightly different players and Declan Rice has evolved into a sort of borderline box-to-box midfielder but can still do that role really well. I was at, um, at the Kidderminster game over the weekend and just watching the way he came on at, at half-time and dictated the play. Granted, it was against a team in, in the sixth tier of English football so it's maybe not the best example but his run is as good a goal to be scored in any game. He bursts through the middle and slots one in the top corner and I think that's probably where that holding midfield role has evolved over the last few years. It isn't just a sit deep, break up play and, and make a few tackles. It's probably one of the most important roles in terms of City setup anyway for creativity. So Declan Rice would demand a big fee and I think that's probably the only sort of point that would go against him for City trying to spend, especially if they go uh, for Haaland and pay big bucks across the across the transfer fee and the agent fees it is unlikely that that city go for Declan Rice but it remains an option it does and I think probably in a fantasy world Declan Rice would be my answer here but I think if you look at you know his position in the West Ham team right now he's he's such a key player in a team that is competing in the Europa League competing for a top four spot um it'd be hard to see him jump to a bigger club um, and possibly play. I mean, can you see Pep dropping Rodri for any big game? Because I couldn't. (laughs) With the the form that he's in now. With the form that he's in now. um, I think he's made that mistake before and and it was enough. Yeah. So I just couldn't see Rice really agreeing to come and play second fiddle somewhere. I think he'd probably be, probably would be better off going somewhere that that position needs to be filled like a United, like maybe an Arsenal to play in there with Thomas Partey. Um, but either way, I, I just can't see him making that jump. But I think that would probably be the, the FIFA-esque fantasy signing to back up Rodri. A hundred percent. But in terms of this position itself, I'd say the business... City do in this area it is worth watching because it should offer a little bit of insight into the future of Guardiola if it's not already sorted by then in terms of his, his rumoured contract extension. Um, this is his position really, isn't it? This is Guardiola's position. So it's the most important part of the pitch for him and you'd expect the club to be prioritising it. Granted, it may not be to, to come and replace Rodri because he, he's, for my money and, and I think for many other people's money, the best holding midfielder in the world right now. But if he was to extend his contract beyond 2024, he's no doubt going to want somebody who can at least compete, if not one day step into that role. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just to throw another couple names out there, one one guy that I definitely had keyed in on before he moved somewhere in January was Dennis Zakaria. Yeah. Um, I thought he's another player like Phillips that on his day is absolutely incredible in that role and maybe needs a little bit more developing, just, you know, polishing off the edges. Um, uh, another guy in that position that I have been a huge fan of for so long now is Wilfred Ndidi at Leicester. Mm. I think as far as the Premier League goes... Wilfred and Didi on his day is up there with your Rodri's and your Conte's. I mean, he's he's maybe a little bit of a level below, but on his day, I think he's superb. Is he not another one that would probably want to walk into a Champions League team, though? 
I suppose the the argument was used against me, and it, it was definitely a valid one. But is Leicester seen the sort of club that are immediately below the likes of City, Chelsea, possibly even United, and of course Liverpool? So it's unlikely for my money, like you said, for Rice, for him want to sort of come in and maybe spend half a season on the bench. Who knows? But suppose there's a chance City don't even spend any money at all and and, and just recruit from within, which is a, a trend we've seen the Blues sort of take over the last couple of years. Romeo Lavia is a name we've seen on the team sheet a few times this season. Does he have the potential to come through and make it as a senior player? I'm, I'm yet to be convinced, but that could always change, couldn't it? It could. And I think when when we hear the club kind of talk about the academy players that they truly see a future for, it's your uh, McAtee's, DeLapse, Joshua Wilson, Esbrand, um and I think that probably the last guy on that list, other than maybe some of the other guys out on loan, like Tommy Doyle, Taylor Harwood Bellis, is Romeo Lavia. Um, I think we've seen small glimpses of him in the cups and he seems to fit right in. I think he played really, really well against Wickham. Um, yeah. But that is a big risk bringing a teenager in to back up Rodri um, mm. and leave yourself kind of, you know, at risk there if, if Rodri picks up an injury and you're throwing a 19, 20-year-old in to play arguably the most important role in the team. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a shame there's not really any profile of player out on the market who were, uh, I, I know it seems a bit silly to suggest replacing one veteran midfielder with another one, but you see the sort of thing Chelsea have done with Thiago Silva. And if there was that sort of player who could play that role and, and, pay, and play like a third of the season, if not less, and but you just know you're going to get experience to allow the likes of Lavia to, to develop. That would be, at the moment, I reckon, the ideal situation, but it, it does look as if City are going to have to spend. I think one thing for Lavia that is a positive is the fact that, or at least not yet, has he been sent out on low? Because I don't know your, your thoughts on this, Adam, but it seems to me over the last couple of years, you can tell the player who City think is going to succeed by keeping them at the club. It, you know, the, the, the obvious example is Phil Foden. Um, Cole Palmer, again, has not been allowed to... Or, uh, there was never any rumours about him being allowed to go out on loan. McAtee, OK, there were a few, but was that maybe to keep him happy, keep the game time in his legs and, and sort of, instead of instead of just sort of send him out on loan to quote-unquote develop, which is almost shorthand for get out of our way for a little bit? Yeah, I think that's definitely been a trend at the club. I think... There may be a few exceptions out there. Um, maybe like somebody like a Tommy Doyle, who when you see where he's going to play on loan, like a Hamburg um, mm. or to Cardiff, you know, I think Hamburg and Cardiff are, are in different levels of clubs. But, um, you know, at Hamburg, you're playing in front of 60,000 people, a full stadium, high level games, trying to get back up into the Bundesliga. Um, that's a bit different than playing at Girona or, or at Troyes. Yeah, um, yeah. So there may be some exceptions in there just because Doyle kind of hit his ceiling in the academy at a time when there's absolutely no chance he's getting any time in the city first team and therefore your only option is a loan. Um, I think players like him, seeing him go out on loan and not leave permanently is probably a good thing. But when you see us sign some 16-year-old with the last name ending in itch or of, and they go straight out to Trois, then you're never going to see them in the first team. <laughs> yeah, just uh, an absolute myth at times, isn't it? Some of these players. I do I do have fun at um, 
often looking at City's under 23 loan list on transfer market. And it's like City, like you say, it is just City loady bingo. Take a shot every time you see a player with a with a surname ending in itch, and you would be absolutely hammered by about 10 minutes in. Um <laughs> let's let's move on to Lou's question then, because it's an interesting one and we've covered it slightly um across across the podcast already. But striker and left back. Let's start with left back because I'm not pre- I'm not prepared for the havoc you're about to wreak now, Adam, with your suggestion. Well, I don't know that it's t- it's too much havoc that I'm going to wreak, but I'm going to f- I'm going to flip the question back on Lou and say, do City <laughs> need a left back? Episode one, and he's already calling out people. He's already <laughs> sending shots. Um, because w- when I when I look at things right now, I think Zinchenko is a reliable option, a hundred percent. Um, I think Cancelo on the left has actually played better than he has been on the right. And I Mm. think because when we do the inverted fullback and he kind of drifts in and Grealish is out wide or Foden's out wide on the left and and, um, Cancelo kind of picks up that area that David Silva used to always sit in. um, And Cancelo can then cut in on his right and kind of do whatever he wants with the ball. I actually think we've seen the best out of Cancelo on the left. And therefore I think we have two reliable options at left back. One is left footed. One is right footed. I think perhaps the club needs to be looking at a right back. Okay. To replace or to compete with Kyle Walker. Compete. I don't think we've seen any signs of Kyle Walker slowing down. In fact, I think some of his performances this season have been the highest level we've seen from him. I think he he's probably arguably one of the highest um, performers of the city of the Pep era. I think he's one of the most consistent, yeah. s- consistent players of this era, um, and he hasn't really shown any sign of slowing down. So it's probably looking at somebody for the future and somebody to compete with Kyle Walker. I definitely appreciate the shout of Cancelo staying at left back. He's been a phenomenon this season, and. Okay, Guardiola probably doesn't stumble across these things, but it definitely feels like that happened by accident. And I know he he played there before, he had experience playing there before, but it would seem a little haphazard if City were planning for a, a charge on four fronts for a number of years, going into seasons with with uh, Cancelo, sort of as the main left back. And I, I know it looks like that now, doesn't it? Because <laughs> look at how well he's been playing, but it does seem as though potentially that there could come a time when that experiment maybe doesn't work as well. Teams figure out the spaces in midfield that that City play with. And granted, the player, the, the technical ability of the player should hopefully combat that. But sometimes it is like like the same argument with an out-and-out out number nine. Sometimes you do need a little bit of a, a, a traditional left-back, if you like. And in terms of names, I think this is potentially where we could see City leave that that position on the pitch alone because it isn't stacked in in Europe with the best sort of quality left backs available. We obviously saw in the summer the club opted out of signing or sorry going for Nuno Mendes who, who ended up going to PSG. Now I don't know. Does the city the city target that position above a striker? Probably not. Do they target that position above a holding midfielder? Probably not. So it could. It could leave them scraping the bargain bucket, looking for someone who probably isn't going to be the best of fit. Yeah, I think we could definitely see that. Um, you know, I think there's probably a shout for Joshua Wilson Esbrand. 
Mm. I thought that he was probably the best player on the pitch, the best academy player on the pitch against Wickham um, when the, the whole back four and goalkeeper was was academy products. Um, and if you're saying that we have Cancelo there as an option, if Zinchenko remains an option, then you're looking at somebody that either you're, you're selling Zinchenko or you're moving Cancelo back to the right. Um, but if it's a, a left back coming in with those two already there as options, then it can't be somebody that's going to demand much playing time. It's probably going to have to be somebody that finds themselves as third on the depth chart. Um, and I think that that would be a brilliant time to be calling up JWE. Yeah, the big man JWE. I was quite surprised actually in the in the January window to see City leave Luca Dean alone. I thought Villa having a free run at Luca Dean was is it superb business if nobody competes? Well, you know they had to recruit them, didn't they? But um, it's like it like that that saying: if a tree falls in the forest, did it really fall? But if Luca Dean signs for Villa and, and nobody else was interested, did did Luca Dean really sign for Villa? I thought he <laughs> he probably could have fit City's profile. Um, and, and what was the finances involved? I think it was only twenty million or so. I, I, yeah. I was surprised to see City not really go down that route. Yeah, I think he's a player that I've been calling for for years now since we've needed a left back. Um, I think he's he's brilliant on the ball. He's one of the best left backs in English football at just whipping balls right in onto mm. the penalty spot. Um, he's decent enough defending, um, and that's really all you need to do in City's back four because most of the defending is done higher up the pitch. Um, but yeah, I think it definitely was a missed opportunity. Well, that's that for episode one of the City Report. Adam, it's it's been a pleasure. It's been good. Finally, finally, nice to get get the legs going. I feel like we're making our debut in good in good style. Yeah, it was exciting. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to everybody that sent us in questions on Twitter. We'll do that every week um, from here on out to get to get some suggestions on what you guys want to hear us talk about or if you have any specific questions. Um, so thank you for sending those in. If your question didn't get answered, it likely will on another episode or you asked the same question as somebody else and it got <laughs> answered on here anyways. Where can people find you, Adam? I don't mean literally your your, your address. Let's not give that away. But in terms of your, your online profile, where can people find you? You can find me at a Booker 17 on Twitter. That is A B O O K E R 17. For all your best hot takes. Yes. You can find you can find myself, I'm Amos Murphy underscore on Twitter. We will be back again next week to review the Norwich game. City go away to Norwich after playing Brentford in midweek. And then we will be previewing the Champions League. Cue the music. It's back. Adam, it's back. Music that uh, makes me upset, I'd have to say. <laughs> I don't have good memories. <laughs> PTSD. I don't think many City fans do. There was a reason they were booing the Champions League anthem before it was popular. Let's put it that way. But Sporting Club de Portugal to give them their proper title away City in the round of 16. Is it going to be the year? We wait to see. But until then... Please subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be returning next week. Anything to add? Nope, that's it. Looking forward to speaking to you again next week. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. 
By using Mick Delivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order Mick Delivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.